Let's look at the scripture together. Mark 14 and verses 43 through 52. Verses 43 through 52. And immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him, and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth, and he ran away naked. The word of the Lord. On the night Jesus was betrayed, it was very clear as we read the Gospels that the disciples did not understand the Scriptures. They did not understand what the Scriptures said about the Lord's suffering and death, and they certainly weren't prepared for the shock of what was about to happen. And so Jesus said to them in John 16, there in the upper room, Do you now believe? For they had said to him, Now, Lord, we understand what you're saying. You're speaking clearly. And he says, Do you? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Why would Jesus feel the need to assure his disciples in that moment? He had just spent quite a bit of time explaining to them the very real relationship they had with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he had gone into great detail, even offered his great high priestly prayer for them. But Jesus needed to assure them because Jesus knew they did not yet understand. Everything he had been teaching the disciples about himself, everything he taught them about the kingdom of God was soon to be ultimately fulfilled on the cross of Calvary. 
He had warned them about that. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He must suffer. He must be crucified. And he will rise on the third day. They still didn't grasp it. Because they didn't understand the Scripture. They weren't taking the Scripture as God had given it to them. It's not complicated, really, the overarching theme of the Bible. But it's not something you just get, even reading through the Scripture all the way. Not in one sitting, not in two, not in three, not in many. It takes us time to understand what it is that God is doing. Even when we first come to Christ, we don't come with a full understanding of everything. We come with very little knowledge. But what we must understand is that overarching point of the Scripture, the Gospel. God is holy. You are not. You're the sinner He says you are. But He's provided a Savior. That is Christ Jesus, His only begotten Son in whom He is well pleased, who is Himself the fulfillment of the law on your behalf, because He lived the perfect life, and He, according to the law, then suffered the death you deserve. So we know that, in what degree we understand it, and we look to Jesus Christ in faith. We begin to mourn our sin, that's repentance, and we begin to look to Christ in faith. There's that change of heart that only the Spirit of God can bring. But maybe we didn't quite understand, and certainly we don't, how it is that Jesus has fulfilled Scripture. And so his suffering and death would shake the faith of those first disciples, those apostles of the Lord. His suffering and death would severely test their faith, would test their understanding of Scripture, because to this point, when they looked at Jesus, they said, well, we believe he's the Christ, the Son of God, but their, their concept of the kingdom of God was that it was there. Nothing would happen to Jesus. He would overthrow their enemies. He would establish this heaven on earth. But they did not know God's purpose and plan of salvation as it was laid out. And so Jesus was encouraging them, keep trusting me. Follow me. Something's going to happen, many things are going to happen, and there are going to be bad things that are going to happen to me, your Lord and your Master. But no matter what happens, keep trusting me. Christ as our Good Shepherd has been a theme here in Mark, and we looked at that the last time that I was sharing Scripture with you. We noted Jesus as that good shepherd, and we noted that he had made reference to the prophet Zechariah. Back in Mark 14, 27, Jesus said, the shepherd will be smitten, and the sheep will be scattered. And all the disciples said, what? 
that'll never happen. We wouldn't do that. And Peter, more vocal than the rest, said, I don't care if they all do it. I mean, I think maybe they possibly could, you know, in Peter fashion, but not me. I won't forsake you. I'll even die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That was a shock. And so I want you to think along those lines. What all they've experienced with Jesus in his ministry. Although he's repeatedly said it's not what you think it is. The kingdom is more than you understand. And he constantly brought the scripture to bear. And constantly reminded them that the scriptures must be fulfilled. They had trouble like we do. Grasping and understanding the simplicity of the gospel and yet the profound nature of the gospel. That it is not us who contributes to salvation. It is Christ who came and secured salvation. And our good shepherd is that one, as we saw in that previous passage with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, gathering them around and letting them hear him pray And letting them begin to see that it was far more than they thought. This passage that we're looking at this morning describes the literal fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy that the shepherd would be stricken or smitten of God and that the sheep would scatter. Jesus, in fact, calls for the scripture to be fulfilled in what is about to happen. So here we see the shepherd is first seized before he is handed over to those who will strike him. Those whom God will use to strike him according to his purpose and plan. And then we'll see the sheep quickly flee as the Lord said. Let's look first at how Jesus comes to be seized by the authorities in verses 43 through 49. Judas is now back in the picture, and you'll remember Jesus had predicted he would be the betrayer, probably, maybe next to Peter. Judas was one of the least likely, for when Jesus even pointed out that there he would be betrayed in the upper room, everyone wondered who in the world could it be? And when Jesus told Judas, Go and do what you must do. Quickly, and he leaves, no one suspected it was him. But Judas's betrayal was the catalyst for Christ to be stricken. It was that initial act that would bring about everything else that must transpire to bring Christ to the cross. For Jesus to be stricken as the good shepherd. He had to be handed over to sinful men, as he had forewarned. Now, I want you to notice that word immediately in verse 43. And if you'll recall, Mark uses that frequently because Mark likes action. And he, he moves quickly through his narrative. 
And he often says, and immediately, and immediately this happened. Because he's presenting Jesus as that suffering servant of Isaiah in his prophecy in the Old Testament. But he's presenting him as that man, as that man who's come, that suffering servant who's come, and he is going to get the job done. Jesus is that man of action. And here he's showing that action by the power of his word. He's going to call the apostles, the disciples' attention and our attention back to the scripture again. Christ allowing himself to be betrayed. Christ allowing himself to be arrested. Often people want to look at Jesus and say he was the victim of circumstance. He had, no, he had no real say in what was happening to him. He was just caught up in the mayhem of the crowd mentality and he made the wrong people angry and they came after him. But you'll remember that Jesus often was on the verge of being arrested and repeatedly we are told in the Gospels that it was not time. Often he escaped because it was not time. In fact, Jesus will later say to his disciples, I'm going to lay down my life, but no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. In the Father's time. All the Gospels, by the way, record the betrayal with varying detail, but Judas is always identified as one of the twelve. And the emphasis here is that that was not a surprise to Jesus. That too was a fulfillment of Scripture. You'll recall the psalmist in Psalm 55 and verse 13 speaking of that familiar friend and companion who went with the psalmist in worship. They had shared meals together. They had worshipped together. And yet he raised his heel against the psalmist. Judas is the ultimate fulfillment of that. So much so that he will betray the Son of Man with a kiss, as we'll see in a moment. And Jesus will find in the other Gospels will ask, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? But Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, that no longer appealed to Judas. That's why he gave up on Jesus, even though he had been with him like the other apostles for those three years. He had seen all the miracles. He had heard all of Christ's teaching. I'm not sure, however, that he shared the sentiment of Peter as Brother Stan referred to earlier when Peter said, To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. I don't think Judas even had that thought in his mind. Jesus just didn't pan out like Judas thought he should. Maybe you think that this morning. Maybe you have been a Christian for a short time, for a long time, and life 
just didn't turn out like you thought it should. And everything you've understood about Jesus in the Bible is not quite like you thought it should be. And maybe you're questioning that. I'm not saying you're a Judas. And the point of this passage, in part at least, is not to say don't be like Judas. That's not the issue here. But it is to say that we don't understand everything always like we should, and we're constantly growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul says we need to do. But Judas had come to the conclusion that, presented with all the evidence, Jesus had to go. He realized he might be on the wrong side of the coming skirmish. And he didn't want to be arrested. They'd come too close to that too many times. We know from the Gospels that Judas betrays the Lord to the Jewish authorities for mere money. 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He'll later have regret about that. Remorse over that, but no repentance. But the Jewish authorities have sent their law enforcement officers. For they were the authorities of the people. But they sent their enforcement officers, this crowd that we read about here. They are from the chief priests, from the scribes, from the elders, those more distinct Um, positions within the Sanhedrin and the temple authority. They send their officers in this crowd in the darkness of night with their torches and their clubs, with their weapons. And they came with Judas to ensure that he would deliver on his guarantee. We give you money, you give us Jesus. Beginning in verse 44, we see the seizure of Christ. The betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss is the man. I like that phrase. Jesus is often presented by those who don't believe in him as the man. But he is the man, isn't he? The true man of God. He is that true man of God who loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and does his will. He's he's that man, that righteous man of the Psalms, particularly in Psalm 1. Betrayer gave them the sign, I'll kiss the man. You seize him and lead him away under guard. We should always try to picture these things in our minds. We don't know exactly what it looked like on that night. What Jewish culture and life was actually like in all its detail. But we know what we can know from scripture and we can piece things together. So I want you to picture this in your mind. Judas bringing this crowd torches and clubs and Jesus and his disciples, Jesus just having finished his prayer in the garden and the disciples watching that and seeing the anguish of his soul, knowing that something was deeply troubling him. 
But Judas brings access to Jesus. Following Judas on that night, there was no access to God. Only access to Jesus whom they had rejected. They seize him, they take him away. Judas delivers the sign of the kiss. That was a simply a sign of respect, or it should have been, for the rabbi. I think Judas meant it in the most treacherous of ways to betray the Son of Man with that kiss. He pretended loyalty. He did that even to the end. He feigned submission to Christ. But listen, all that counts for nothing. You can sit here week in, week out, hear the Word of God, experience the means of grace, the Word of God brought to you in preaching in the sacraments and prayer and the singing of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You can engage with the, in fellowship with the other believers. That counts for nothing in the end if you turn away from Christ. It didn't and doesn't bring you to Christ. It is for your benefit to maintain your faith in Christ, to strengthen your faith in Christ. That's why you're here today, I hope. If you come here for someone to tell you how you need to do better, that's the wrong reason. You need to come here that you might hear about the only one, the man, Jesus Christ, who has given himself a ransom for many, that they may be redeemed to God. You need Christ. You need to feed on him as the word is brought to you, as it is given in preaching, as it is given in the sacraments and prayer and all the rest. In verse 46, Mark emphasizes the arrest of Christ as they, as they actually lay hands on him and seize him. He's, he's treated like a criminal, a dangerous criminal, not just a common criminal, but there was no respect in that. It was an utter disgrace, and Christ will later hang on that cross in public humiliation. He is about to be disrespected, the man who of all men should be respected above all. Verse 47, we see the reaction of another disciple. Judas decided Jesus wasn't worth it. Now we are told that another disciple draws his sword and strikes, strikes and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. When you take all of the gospel accounts together, you, you piece all of it uh, together, you know that's Peter, impetuous Peter. All of the disciples said, as the crowd gathered around them, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? They had said they were ready to even die with him. I don't know if Peter's just trying to one-up the other guys, but he pulls the sword out and strikes off his ear. If he was aiming for his head, he was terrible, a terrible swordsman. But he cuts off his ear. And Jesus, although we're not told here, Jesus quickly says, put away your sword. We're also told that he heals the servant's ear. 
And we're told that he says to the disciples, if you wish to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. This is not the way. Why? Because what was happening must happen. They're all wondering what they should do. They're all in shock about what is actually occurring. Maybe they're thinking, well, Jesus said this would happen. I don't, I don't really think that came to mind until later. They truly did not believe that Jesus was going away. Not only to be arrested, but to be tried, to be crucified. They were to put their swords away. They were to let the officials arrest him. And Jesus says to those in the crowd, Why have you come out with a crowd with swords and clubs to arrest me like I'm a a robber? The word there is probably better translated an insurrectionist. Later, he will be hung with insurrectionists on his right and his left, and one will be set free. An insurrectionist and a murderer will be set free, and Jesus will take his place in the middle of those three crosses. Jesus said, why have you come out? Why are you doing this now? I was with you daily in the temple teaching. You've heard everything I said. There I was in public. You could have taken me then. Mark doesn't say it. But the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. I want you to think about the good shepherd again. I want you to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 23, that the Lord is our shepherd. And what is it that he leads us through? The dark valley. The valley of the shadow of death. That's what our shepherd's doing here. He's not saying to the disciples, Buck up, guys. Get yourselves together. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and stand and fight with me. He doesn't say that. He says the opposite. He knows they're going to scatter. He's not even scolding them for that. He understands they're going to. Why? Because they're still looking at it from Partly a human perspective and partly God's perspective. And they need to see it all from God's perspective. Your faith is squarely in Jesus Christ when you see Him for who God says He is. Not for who you think He is. Not for who you want Him to be. Day after day, said Jesus, I was with you. You didn't arrest me then. You didn't seize me then. Look at what he says, however, in the last part of verse 49. And here's the emphasis. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. 
That's what I want you to remember. Let the scriptures be fulfilled. What scripture? Is he thinking about some scripture in particular? Is he thinking about all the prophetic scriptures regarding him? Certainly he's making a broad reference to that. But I think Jesus has in mind that reference he made to Zechariah 13 back in Mark 14 verse 27. What was that verse? What was that prophecy? The shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will be scattered. But let the scripture be fulfilled. He was taken. And then we see in verses 50 through 52, the sheep scattering. Everything that Jesus had been teaching the disciples led up to this moment. Graciously, lovingly, Christ knows what's going to happen. He knows how they're going to react. He knows they still don't understand. And later they will. Later they will. Listen, I want to encourage you to know that you don't have to, to be some you know, super Christian who just knows all the Bible references and has all your theology pinned down up one side and down the other. You know, no. You're always growing. You're always learning. You're daily struggling with sin and you're daily mourning your sin and you're daily looking to Christ. But you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Take heart in knowing the disciples didn't understand it all either. And they fled. And yet Jesus dealt graciously with them. He'll deal graciously with you. Come away from that mentality that says, I need to grasp it all. Or I need to be in control of it all. You can't be. You aren't. Look to Christ. Who is the fulfillment of all God's promise of salvation. And rest in Him. There will be times you don't understand. There will be times you will be afraid. There may be times that you flee. I don't know. You may be like all of them there with Jesus standing next to Him. Who saw the opportunity to get away in their confusion. Not because they were being cowardly. They were willing to draw their swords. They just didn't understand. And God was not going to allow them to be arrested. Why? Because Jesus had said, I've protected them all. And he protected them even then. In fact, when we look at the other Gospels, we realize that as they came, the crowd to Jesus, Jesus said, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they fall to the ground. That's powerful, powerful words from Christ. He says to them again, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you, I'm he. Let these go. Jesus was not going to let anything happen to them. It wasn't time. Later after they flee in persecution, later after they're dispersed in persecution, they will suffer and most of these apostles will die at the hand of their persecutors. Take heart. You're not in the worst of company if you're afraid. 
If you're thinking about, should I follow Christ? What will happen to me? I mean, this is not exactly encouraging, right? What's the world going to do to me? What, is my, what will my family say? What will my friends say? How will my life change if I follow Christ? I can say, well, you, you might be persecuted. You may not understand everything at once. It'll take you your lifetime of, of learning and growing in Christ. And, but take heart. Just look to Jesus. Trust in Him. They all left Him and fled. Verses 51 and 52 are particularly amusing to me. I, I don't know any other way to say it. There's a young man that followed him, had nothing but a linen cloth on his body. They seized him or they grabbed hold of him. I think this is indicative of, you know, they're, they're after the Lord's disciples too, perhaps. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Many think this is Mark, the writer of the gospel. I, I would agree with that. He was from a more prominent family Wearing a linen cloth, linen was a very expensive material. He would have had the means to buy that. It's probably Mark. But notice that Mark, as he writes this, he doesn't name himself, but he doesn't name the other apostles either. Not because I think he's ashamed. I think he's saying this, this is every one of us. This is us. And Jesus is Jesus. Your salvation, you being brought through the valley of the shadow of death into the joy and glory of eternal life, that's not dependent on you. If it were left to you, you'd run away. You, you couldn't do this. You couldn't even begin to imagine even to face what Christ faced for you. But let Jesus be the man. Let Jesus be the good shepherd, and you be the sheep that hear his voice and follow. Our salvation has always been in Jesus' hand. And listen, his hand is grasping you and leading you through the dark valley of this life. And it is a dark valley. I don't think I need to elaborate on that. We're all going through things constantly in our lives that we wish the circumstance was better. Some of those things are very serious. Some of those things are detrimental to us. But we stay near... Christ Jesus our Lord because we hear his voice we know he's our shepherd we draw near to him so whatever you're going through today as you have placed your faith in Christ keep it there know that Jesus has gone through the dark valley ahead of you as your good shepherd we think we have input into what God is doing to redeem us and bring us to heaven. We don't. Your part is faith. Your part 
It's following Christ in faith. You won't understand it all. You won't always be on a mountaintop. But keep following Christ. What he endured for us, he had to endure alone. The disciples couldn't help him. They couldn't contribute. We can't contribute. And the point here is not that we should be more courageous than the scattered apostles. The point is that we need to understand what Jesus is saying here and rest in what God says about his son and what he came to do. I just want to draw your attention, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts 2. I want to read an extended passage for you. Keep in mind, the Apostle Peter is the one who vowed he would not flee, vowed he would die with Christ, drew his sword first, struck off the servant's ear, and struggled very deeply with all of that and eventually denied Jesus three times the next morning. But it is Peter here in Acts chapter 2, and I'll begin in verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And I want you to see how far Peter had come. Once after Jesus had suffered and died and was raised from the dead. How much he had come to understand what is God's purpose and plan in Christ. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men. He's speaking to the people of the nation gathered there on the day of Pentecost around him. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be forsaken. That I may not be shaken, rather. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to say, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would, be, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the true man, Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing all that was going on on Pentecost and the Spirit being poured out upon the believers. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord sat, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is, David was speaking of Christ. Let all the house of Israel therefore now for certain know that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Notice what Peter does not say. He doesn't say make your life better. He doesn't say contribute to your salvation in some way. What does he say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation by doing what? Repenting and believing, knowing that you're the sinner God says you are, and looking in faith to Christ as the Savior God says he is. Peter goes on to say, So those who received, or the writer says, those who received his word, Peter's word, this preaching of Peter, they were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and being in favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You say, why do you read all that? Because that is how Peter came to understand Christ, who was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scripture. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the Savior. This is God's purpose and plan of salvation. So Peter comes now, not in disgrace, but with boldness. Taking heart, being encouraged by the Word of God. And he preaches this wonderful sermon, the gospel of Christ to the people. And many are saved. And the church grew. And they continued steadfastly, it says, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And that's what we're to do. We don't save ourselves. We repent and look to Christ who saves us. And we're here to be reminded of that. And so the word of God's come to you this morning, not only in the preaching, but soon in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's come to you in song. It's come to you in prayer. You've participated in that. You've engaged in it. All to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. For there is where your faith 
can rest. There is where it should alone be resting. Take heart. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, so often it is our fleshly desire to take the bull by the horns, as we say, and, and wrestle everything down and bring it into submission. Our lives, our circumstances, our sins. And somehow we think we have the ability, even the knowledge, that we might be able to understand all your ways or that we might be able to contribute to this work of redemption that you're doing through Jesus, our Lord. Sometimes when we think we have a grasp on what you're doing, we realize in a moment of trial that we do not. And we find ourselves afraid and fleeing perhaps, questioning things. But as we've looked at Jesus, our Savior, this morning, please remind us, that it's all about Him. It's all about our Lord and Savior. It's all about Your Son in whom You are well pleased. Who lived perfectly where we have failed to do so. Who suffered the death we deserve for our failures. For our disobedience. Who bore our sins in His own body on the tree. On the cross. And who has been raised again from the dead. I can inadequately preach Him. We can inadequately comprehend Christ and all that You are doing through Him. But let us take heart from Your Word and rest there that our faith may be in the Son of God in whose name we pray. Amen.